Welcome back to Deconstructing the Myth Season 3, a season full of conversations about how to move forward with life during and after deconstruction. I get to chat today with Matt Kinzera, author of Bring It Home, The Adventure of Finding Yourself After Being Lost in Religion. What I really appreciate about Matt is his ability to handle the topic of deconstruction with such lightness and humor in his book. It's definitely something I don't run across every day. We discuss a lot about how deconstruction played out for him personally and how to keep our joy in the middle of it all. Good morning, Matt. I'm very excited to have you here today. Well, thanks for having me, Liz. It's ta- it took us a while, but we got here, right? <laughs> it this is did. probably the longest scheduling attempt <laughs> maybe ever. <laughs> well, part of that, I got really sick the, the night and the morning of our first interview, so I was texting you from being quite near the toilet, TMI, TMI, but I was like, I don't know if this is going to work out. <laughs> So it would not. That would have been a bad interview. It's, it's a safer. It's safer that we did it today. But I'm very excited to have you on the show. Um, we're going to talk about your book, Bring It Home: The Adventure of Finding Yourself After Being Lost in Religion. Um, and you, you're a podcaster. You're a speaker. And I just have really appreciated your book um, quite a oh, bit this spring. In a sense, it's kind of nice we had to reschedule because. I hadn't quite completed your book when we were first going to do it, and I got a chance to kind of, I don't know, pull out chapters and kind of savor them a little more. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, Well, thanks for reading it. Yeah. Well, and I also feel like your book, for me, has been such a breath of fresh air because so many people who write on leaving church or evangelicalism or whatever it might be, you know, it's so heavy. Right. But your book is, I laughed out loud so many times. (laughs) You would not describe this book as heavy. There's some serious moments, but yeah, Yeah. and that was somewhat intentional. I I enjoy making people laugh and I know how hard this space can be sometimes. (laughs) Yes. And so I I don't always want us to take ourselves too seriously that we can't also just step back and, you know, find some laughter in the midst of hard hardships yes and i just it definitely did that it was it was really it was a breath mm-hmm. of fresh air for my for my book list so well, thank you um yeah so could you just introduce yourself to our listeners tell us about your background um professionally but also uh, spiritually and how that's led to where you are today yeah, absolutely. I grew up Catholic and I was one of those strange kids who loved going to mass and loved everything Catholic. I was like super enthralled by all the robes and the incense. There was something <laughs> about all of it that just captured me. And so I was like an all-star altar boy, went to Catholic school. And again, like unlike a lot of people, I really loved that part of my upbringing. And, you know, really my, my family was Catholic. I grew up in a small town in, you know, the Midwest. And so in my town, there weren't options. You were Catholic or you were Lutheran or you were nothing, basically. Mm. And so, um, you know, I didn't know that there were other options. And then I got to college and, and jumped into, you know, somebody asked me to play. I'm a musician, so I went to school for music. Somebody asked me to play drums in church. I thought that was the strangest thing that's ever been requested of me. And then I went and it was like an evangelical church. And then I kind of got hooked. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, was was a part of the evangelical machine for 18 years or so, whether that was my wife's an incredible singer as well. And um, so she was is an incredible was an incredible worship leader for a number of years. So we did music in churches, speaking in churches, uh, pastored a small little missional community in our town and was a prison chaplain for a while. And then really, you know, got to the point early on, it was real early on in my 
evangelical journey that I started asking questions that nobody wanted to engage in. And I think mm. the first one was surrounding the LGBTQIA plus uh, community. Uh, the second one was really about hell and damnation. Those were the questions that really were like at the forefront of my mind. And I really struggled to get anybody to engage in those conversations with me. And uh, you know, it all kind of came to a head when, you know, I was pastoring this little small missional community and because of disagreements with how we viewed, you know, this is a community mostly of people that were unhoused, like didn't have a place to, to live and they were coming and, and my whole mindset was I just wanted to love these people because I thought that's what Jesus would do. And a lot of the other leadership crew that I brought in, because this was something that I started along with my wife, Susie, um, they wanted to have like these discipleship models for people living on the streets, which I tried to explain mm. that wasn't going to work. And then that got into all sorts of theology and blah, blah, blah. And then that, that came to a head when I got kicked out of the missional church that I started by the people oh. I asked to be a part of it. And then it was, it was wild. like... It was kind of wild, but it was also like the, that moment in my life was the most, I, I've, I don't think I've ever been so angry, but I've also never felt so free because it was the first time in 18 years where I, my, my uh, paycheck didn't depend on how I believed or what I believed. So, um, but I live in Wisconsin. Wow. I've got an amazing wife who I've been married to for uh, coming up on 25 years and two wonderful children, a little hobby farm and, you know, life, life is good in most ways. I remember you talking in your book about how you were talking to a group of people that just bust out laughing about the um, the the thought that you had started a church that kind of kicked you out, which you were just talking about, <laughs> yeah. and how, if I'm recalling correctly, that moment was also sort of helpful with it, kind of the absurdity of it. Yeah, it was so helpful because, like you said, you know that we it's okay to laugh about our situations. It's okay to find humor in the midst of it, as you were mm. mentioning in the beginning. And this was the first mm. time I got invited by a church to speak and share my story about what it, you know, including yeah. that I was able to talk about what happened. And I was like leading up to this moment, you know, and then just shared what I just shared with you and the listeners. And it blew me away because just laughter happened. And then it was, a, at first I was offended because I was like, that was a really hurtful situation in my life. But then as yeah. I reflected on it, I was, I was thinking, you know, that was, if you really just think about it at face value, that's ridiculous. And so mm, it was very yeah. helpful on my journey to see that, oh yeah, maybe I can look at that moment, not as this dark moment, but as this moment that was just absurd, you know, and a yeah. moment that you can move past. So it was very yeah. helpful. That's so good. So can you tell us what led you to write the book, Bring It Home. Yeah, well, I've always kind of thought of myself as a storyteller, and that's that's where I get, you know, most of my inspiration is for sto from stories. I think that's why I like Jesus so much is because mm -hmm. of the stories he tells. That's the part about even like the Bible narrative that I I enjoy is just the, the, the stories of people trying to discover God in their own context, some way, some shape, in some form. Mm -hmm. So I've always wanted to, you know, I've used these stories in so many messages and sermons and things like that over the years. And I eventually just wanted to write them down. And so I started and stopped this book, I think probably six times over 12 years, because I never thought wow. I had a reason to write it. You know, it's like, who wants to just hear your stories for the sake of hearing your stories? But then when I got to that place where, you know, what has kind of become known as deconstruction, I deconstructed like all the way down to like, <laughs> what's the lowest I can go? Mm -hmm. Do I even believe in God kind of conversations? And yeah. for me, when I got there, that 
that drove me back to so many of the stories from my life. And as I journaled and thought about those stories, I recognized that there was divinity in the center of it all. And whether they were funny, whether they were heartbreaking, you know, they were stories where you could see like there was a, there was, there was something greater, you know, I don't, I don't even know how to explain it. And so really when, once I got a few years past the time when I was kicked out of my community, I just, I just started thinking, you know, so often I get people coming up to me, you know, looking for a, a place to call home, asking me if I'm going to start a progressive church or, you know, thanking me for the podcast or whatever it is. And so then I thought, well, maybe it would be helpful for if, if I was just open and vulnerable with my mm. story, maybe that would also help other people be the same. And so, you know, right around the, just a little bit before the pandemic hit, I just started writing it down and it just felt like the right time for the book and then ran into my publisher, David, over at Lake Drive Books and all worked out. So yeah, yeah. so the, the heart of the book is not, you know, all it's filled with my stories, but the heart of the book is to use my stories as a way to encourage people to engage with their own stories and mm -hmm. to find God right in the center of them as opposed to in the center of a church or a denomination or something like that. Mm. And one thing that really struck me from your book that does just that is these sort of archetypes you talk about. Um, the priest in your life and the Native American, right? Am I am I getting that right? You're right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Can so, you tell us? Yeah, tell us about those and what sure. they meant to you. Yeah. When I my so my earliest desire, and this is again growing up Catholic. I mentioned that I loved being Catholic, and so as like a second grader, the only thing I could imagine doing for a living was being a priest. And so that was, you know, my, my plan for quite a while there until, you know, until you start maturing and remembering that, oh, as a priest, you can't get married. And then you get a little bit older and you start liking girls or I did. And, mm. and, uh, and so that <laughs> was, that was literally the only <laughs> thing that kept me from becoming a priest was that <laughs> I couldn't get married. And then around that same time, so I wanted to be a priest, but I was like, if that doesn't work, the other thing I wanted to be, because in Wisconsin, there's this place called Wisconsin. And they really, it's horrible really how they do it, but there's so much marketing <laughs> geared around the Native American culture. And, and so as a little boy, like that seemed like the greatest thing ever. And I'd watch like cowboy and Indian movies with grandpa next door. And I'd always root for the Native Americans, even though they would never win. Right. And so I just like, for whatever reason, like I was enraptured by priests and Native Americans. And that's just like as far back as I can remember. Those were the things that I, I really, you know, identified with for whatever crazy reason. And as I was thinking back on those moments, I was like, well, you know, you could look at that as just, you know, childlike wonder or, you know, just silly things kids say. But then as I thought about it more deeply, I was like, well, the priest makes sense because spirituality is such a part of my life. And I've always kind of you know, led in that space as well for better or for worse. And that, that'll out as many times. I mean, Liz, maybe you can identify with this. <laughs> like I've had so many conversations with my wife and friends about like, what can I do that doesn't involve faith for a living? Mm -hmm. You know, what can, can I, is, can I just do anything but that? But then I keep, yeah. it's like a, sometimes it feels like a bad drug, you know, you keep coming back yeah. to it. Yeah. <laughs> and so that is kind of the representation of the priest is like faith will always yeah. be what I'm drawn toward. And the wonder, you know, because when I think about a priest, I think about the robes, I think about the incense, I think about the fact that we were taught mm -hmm. to believe like there was literally blood in that cup, uh, you know, as he poured the wine mm -hmm. and the water in there. And then really the Native American, the reason that I was so drawn to that is because my perception is that so connected with nature, so 
connected with adventure. And those two things to me represent spirituality more than anything else in my life. You know, I didn't, mm. I didn't come to believe in God because of something, a preset. I came to believe in God because I sat out in the woods one day and asked myself the question, I wonder if there's something behind this. And, mm. uh, and so that's, you know, again, as we go through our stories and as we try to find God in the center of our stories, it's so important to look back to some of those earliest spaces and say, why was I attracted to the things I was attracted to? And is there something more underneath that that I can still identify with today? Yeah, that's really beautiful. And that's, I think, a really good practice as you kind of gently nudge people in, who are reading your book, you kind of nudge them to think about what are the figures um, mm-hmm. in their own lives. And it kind of made me, it was helpful for me because I was thinking to me, for so long, spirituality has been also like the most important thing. And in a way, even after deconstructing, it is absolutely still the most important thing. But I find myself not being able to talk about it in the same way, not being able to be in those same spaces in the same way. So there's this mm-hmm. real kind of, di- uh, I don't know what the word would be, this disconnect, this kind of imbalance that you feel inside yourself. So it can be, I think it was just helpful to think, okay, but my earliest experiences, let's go back to the moments right. when it first happened, when there wasn't all this other context to it, you know, um, the, all this other framework that's evangelical and, and political and all this stuff telling me what it means to be a Christian or what it means to be a person that's spiritual. And so it was helpful to read your story because I think in childhood we do find kind of that unfiltered experience first. So Yeah, because at some point all of us you know, in the beginning for anybody, no matter what they would identify as the beginning of their faith journey, there's some sense of purity about it. Hmm, and then that purity yeah. slowly but surely gets taken away as whatever, as you jump into the political realms of you, as you jump into de- denominational circles or whatever the reason could be, mm-hmm. you know, you slowly but surely, mm-hmm. you know, lose that purity of faith. And it's so important. I think for me, it was so important to go back to that, to try to try to find faith again in a way that wasn't clouded by so many different things as it had become in my life. Mm-hmm. So now, would you mind sharing what spirituality looks like for you now? I know that, I, I know you've said nature is still um, very important to you, but but what does that mean now at the place you're at? Yeah, I mean, spirituality is such a, it's it's like, it feels like an experiment is what it feels like. And so this year, mm. you know, because this happened, you know, this, this situation with the community that I, I planted and get, got kicked out of, that was probably now probably going on four or five years now. It's, it's, oh, even more than that. I think that was like in 2016 and what were two, so it's, so it's now getting farther and farther in the rear view mirror. And so this year I've started doing mm. things like literally this year is the first time I started exploring prayer again, you know, seven, eight years after oh, that wow. happened. And so one thing that I do is my wife and I, even though we think, we think differently, differently spiritually but we sit down and we pray together or we'll walk out in the woods and pray with one another and so like that's been one thing that's really important uh dipping my toes back into trying to see i'm an introvert so i was like hey if we can manage spirituality without a community of people that would be the dream but i tried it for a while it doesn't seem to work very well you know it seems like spirituality should have some context of community around it and so Two months ago, I started just gathering people once a month um, just to talk about the stories of Jesus. So that's another part of my spirituality. It's the scariest thing I've ever done because wow. pieces of it feel like things that you used to be a part of. But I know for 
for me, that's a really vital part of moving forward, whether I keep doing it or not. The importance of mm. doing it for now is really important. And then, yeah, just, just getting lost in, yeah. you know, for me, getting lost in the wonder of nature represents getting lost in the wonder of God. And, um, and so, yeah, I, I, we live in the, you know, we live out outside of Eau Claire, Wisconsin, and we have four acres, but our neighbors have a total of over 400 acres that we get to walk on. And so just taking my dog out there, walking with my wife, going cross country skiing, putting a kayak in the water. To me, those are the most spiritual things I do in any given mm-hmm. time. And, uh, and then also for me, I think the other thing that I've done since I was 17 is I journal a lot and it's just a great space to say anything I need to say that day. <laughs> sometimes yeah. it's beautiful. Sometimes it's, uh, not so great, not so beautiful. <laughs> so those, yeah. it's, you know, there's no, there's no, I, I can't like, I can't boil it down to say like, this is exactly what my spirituality looks like. Cause honestly it's different every single day. And that's what yeah. I love about it. Hmm. Okay. Oh, I have so many questions because, and maybe you, <laughs> you may have addressed some of these in your book. I have young children and you know, some of it sticks in my mind and some of it does not. Yeah, so no worries. forgive me if you've addressed these in your books, but our listeners don't know. So it'll uh-huh. be great. Um, thinking about how you look at, Christianity now. So mm-hmm. I know that spirituality it can be separate from Christianity in many ways, and we can have kind of that as our starting base. Um, I don't even know what question I'm exactly trying to ask. What role does Christianity play in your spiritual experience now? Does that make sense? It does. I think, you know, it, that's a tough one because you always have to try to identify what you mean by that word. But from mm, my yes. context, yeah. you know, I put a lot of attention on the person of Jesus. That doesn't mean I understand who Jesus was. It doesn't mean I understand what happened on the cross. It doesn't mean I have some sort of mm. concrete theology around him. It just means that um, how, somebody shared with me once about how that's just kind of home base, right? So if you grew up in American Christianity, that's home base. So it's not doesn't mean it's the only way. It simply means it's the way that makes the most sense to somebody like myself who's in his mid-40s and grew up in this context. And so mm-hmm. I'm hopeful that, you know, I mean, I think Christianity is such a part of our world over the last several thousand, couple thousands of years that I think it would be a beautiful thing to see on some level that idea get redeemed. And what I mean by that is if the whole focus would be on, on Jesus and and take a lot of the other things out of it. You know, I've, I ran into a pastor friend of mine from Iowa last week and he was just talking about a community that he has. And he said, the only thing we do on Sunday mornings is talk about, you know, stories about Jesus. And I think if we can kind of come back to that space, it'll maybe give us some healthy ground to stand Mm. on. And I also think, you know, right now Christianity has such a, I mean, it's so stained. It's so ugly. It's so, you know, there's so much, you know, all of us, I think, want to walk away from it because of the horrific things that have been done underneath that title. But I think so many of Mm. us know that again, in the purest form of Christianity, which is just kind of who is Jesus and what did he stand for and what was he doing? Um, I think in that purest form of Christianity, there's still good there. And so my Mm. hope, but you know, so I would still call myself a Christian just because simply of 
how highly I regard Jesus, <laughs> not for any other mm. reason. Not because I go to church on yeah. Sunday mornings. I don't. Not because I read my Bible every day. I don't. Not because, you know, I have a certain set of theology around that. I certainly don't. But simply because I think in its purest form, it's still good. Um, mm, but that's, that's, really that's a lot, you know. Actually, as you were talking about kind of the community, I don't know if the community is the right word, but the group of people you meet with to talk about Jesus's stories, correct? The parables, is that what you said? You guys yeah, I do? mean, we'll really talk about Jesus. Any Anything, we'll basically take the Gospels is what we'll do, and we'll just talk about okay. Jesus. And we've only done it twice, so it's just a, okay, it's a grand okay. experiment so far. It's and new. We, yeah, and basically what we do is my, my wife and I, we have a lot of really wonderful uh, spiritual conversations you know we both work from home so we're together all the time and uh and so we end up talking a lot about faith and and again like i said we think very differently in our faith journeys which is sometimes really hard but sometimes really life-giving and so basically what we do is we take our conversations around jesus and we make them in a way that we can you know share that with other people and so so far mm. it's it's been lovely and and we're also uh, i've got a friend his name is scott jenkins from celtic way out in colorado and he's taught me a lot about you know spirituality connected with the seasons so we're trying that this year of we're you know so right now we're talking about winter and talking about jesus and talking about what that looks like and so it's just kind of been a fun little uh you know experiment is is what it is and it's intent it's it's we try we're trying to intentionally make sure it stays small because i think there's Mm. a lot of beauty in the smallness and uh and it's so fun liz this is the first (laughs) we're going to it was funny because the last one we said we're going to do it on the second sunday of every month that just happened to land on super bowl sunday (laughs) but still we had people show up (laughs) but anyway it was so fun the first two that we've done because as we're going there we're like isn't this awesome that we don't even care if anybody else shows up because if it's you know talking to my wife is like Susie, if it's just you and i we're still gonna have a great time and we'll still talk about jesus and play some music together and it'll be fine if nobody else shows up and isn't that a different space than we used to be at when we're like oh my gosh we need as many people here as possible because we need to get them all saved Mm, yes and we need them to support our (laughs) our building fund yes (laughs) maybe even more importantly (laughs) so that's really fascinating because i have been thinking a lot lately about what is the church going to look like the church uh, as an institution and as as people still professing to be christian um in the next 50 years the next 100 years you know especially if we are going to foster an environment of openness and and wonder which i think a lot of our churches are built around you know rigid solid ideas of what it means to be this thing but so many people in the deconstruction movement especially say well we want a space where we're open to question we're open to change our minds we're open to experience god in a new way but i i look around and i'm I'm thinking how does that work as a, how would that work as like a community as a, as a group of people and to me i think you're right i don't know that that can exist on a large scale in the way we've seen churches i think that has to be potentially small small community oriented which actual community cannot be thousands of people so it's just fascinating to hear how you are kind of finding a way to move forward in a spiritual way without the old framework 
I guess. Yeah. And I'm super interested in, you know, I like how you talk about like next 50, 100 years, which is, I think, a really great way to think about it as well. And in, in my context as well, just having conversations with people of what does this look like in the next five years as we start mm, to see people yeah. attempting to do like what, what Susie and I are doing. And then like I'm going tonight, a friend of mine is doing something he calls Beer Church, where he rents out a room in a brewery and has different people that are doing different interesting things all around the continent. Not even all Christian people, but just spirituality. And then another friend of mine who's meeting on Saturdays, you're just starting to see people explore in a new way what meeting together could look like and like when you know when I started when I when I introduce everybody or when I just welcome everybody when we're doing our our deal I just say hey there's no expectation for you to agree with anything I say today there's there's zero expectations and my hope is that there will be some things that we don't agree on so it can lead to some healthy dialogue and healthy conversation Mm. and then uh, uh, the the thing that I think is so important as this movement continues forward is that it's it's available for everybody because that's really where Christian, Christianity has fallen on his face over and over again is this idea that it's it's exclusive as mm. opposed to inclusive. And so, if you know, if Jesus isn't good for everybody, he's really not good for anybody. It's so fascinating you say that because I've been struck lately about the irony that the gospel was so offensive to people at first because it was so inclusive (laughs) right you know and it's and and it was criticized for being too inclusive and now Mm -hmm. we've seen you know and it's 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 tricky because people say well everyone can come but you know it's just it's just a funny (laughs) kind of it's just such an interesting thing that the critique has completely flip-flopped from when it first was given to us it's it's so so fascinating and and i get that people i don't even doubt people's hearts when they'll say things like what you just said my oldest daughter is bisexual i remember having a conversation with a pastor of a church that we used to do some work with and he's like well just just as we were leaving he's like just want to let you know that your family's always welcome here at my church and it's like well i said well could macy get married to a another woman at your church he's like well no i was like well then then we're not actually welcome but thank Mm, you thank you for the words but it's not true you know and so how can we create more inclusive space yeah and again the interesting thing is that it's like their hearts are not they're they're just falling in line with this theology that they have to fall in line with to keep their job and to keep the machine going so i don't really fault them for what they're saying, they're saying what they're supposed to say, but it's it's just not working. It's mm. not working for everybody. It might be working for you, but it's not working for everybody. Hmm. So uh, to kind of go off the rails a little bit again. Yeah, yeah um, let's go. Let's go as I, far off the rails as you want. Let's just go off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that's also been intriguing to me, I know you have Catholic uh, beginnings, mm-hmm. and so... One of my dearest friends and one of my other podcast guests I had um, in our first season is a Catholic, and she converted from evangelicalism to Catholicism. And it's very, I, I can see some of the appeal. Um, it's because in when it comes to evangelicalism, I, I, I sense that there is this idea that we can't agree on what is, you know, we can't agree on what the Bible is actually saying. We can't agree on this and that. We're holding the Bible up almost as an idol. And then you look at Catholicism, Eastern Orthodoxy, and they say, well, we do, we have these, we have more than just the Bible that we are standing on. We have tradition. We have this, you know, um, we just, it's, it's a different approach and it has still some of the same maybe hangups of evangelicalism. But I'm really curious, have your thoughts changed on Catholicism at all during, 
all of this or how do you how would you view that now this is kind of an open-ended question but i'm just really curious i love that dialogue and i love the conversation and what i'll say is my first attempt to jump back into church because catholicism was so important to my upbringing my wife also grew up catholic so we're like hey we should go back to the catholic church like let's go Mm. back to where this started and see if there's something there and (laughs) we went tried to go to my parents church and they were having a polka mass and it's like, oh yeah, no, we're not doing this. It was like, I don't, hmm. polka music and uh, spirituality should maybe <laughs> never be intertwined. And it was to me, it was kind of this uh, this this sign <laughs> that maybe that's not the answer. But what else? Uh, so interesting thing. So my dad uh, is as Catholic as they come, has been as Catholic as they come, and so we started having really interesting dialogues over maybe the last ten years around faith, which we never had before our entire lives. And it was wow. fascinating because he over the last now three to five years has deconstructed his Catholicism in real similar ways as I deconstructed my Mm. evangelicalism. And now he doesn't go to, for the first, I mean, the man has just turned 70. He went to Catholic church for the first 68 years of his life. And now he's just like, I'm out, you know? And so it's interesting that the same conversations that are happening around whether you consider yourself evangelical, (laughs) Methodist, Presbyterian, Catholic, Lutheran, whatever, Mm. seems like all of us are having the same conversations, which is kind of exciting because maybe there's some really beautiful common ground that will be found in the center of that. Because it seems Mm. like, you know, if I take today versus 10 years ago, it feels like conversations are much easier to be had with people of different you know, of, of different backgrounds, Catholicism, Lutheranism, even, you know, I ran into a Mormon couple a few years ago and they were going through the exact same thing with their Mormonism. Wow. And so I'm wondering yeah. if this, this deconstruction space that we're all in is actually creating some really fertile ground for conversations to happen as we continue to look at what our faith looks like moving forward. And so, I mean, that's kind of a roundabout answer to your question, but I would simply say, you know, Catholicism sure has its challenges without a doubt. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't put them worse or better than what, what most faiths have challenges in. Um, you know, my mm-hmm. priest was taken away from us because he was an alcoholic later on. It was found in a different parish. He was, you know, had molested kids in that oh, uh, no. parish. And so, yeah. you know, the guy that I grew up with is, is, you know, even though I thought he was amazing when I was young, turned out to be a, a huge mess, you know, in, in the way that we see that on the large scale and kind of in the media and things like that. So that's a, that, you know, yeah. there's so much, there's so much. Yeah, there is. So I was reading um, one of your, one of your quotes this morning, uh, you had said, eventually this is kind of, we're shifting gears a little bit here. Sure. <laughs> But I, I realized I had taken a note on this and I didn't want to pass it up before we, you know, start to close up here. But you had written, eventually, speaking in evangelical Christian circles became something I could no longer do. The problem was it was such a natural fit for what I was good at. Yeah. I would sit quietly by myself often wondering if life as a public speaker was over for good. So now you are part of this beautiful organization called Rachel's Challenge and you're part of others I was reading and you have your own podcast. And when I was reading that chapter in particular, it made me think of myself and a lot of people that listen to our podcast, a lot of people that I interact with, we are talented and trained in Christian spaces, in theology, in, you know, music, that is music ministry, that sort of thing. And 
even if we still identify as a Christian, which I would as well, there's this looming what now? (laughs) What do we do now? Since nothing else seems to quite compare, in my opinion, you know, to being part of, of that system where you really are set up in some ways financially, um, you know, and uh, reputation wise to be, it's kind of the safe bubble. That's very, uh, sound that's, uh, that feels structurally safe. And so when you deconstruct, we're like, what now, what is there for me now? I just wondered if you had any, any words that you could speak to that? Maybe how do we find our way forward from here? If we're, if we're in a similar position? No, I, I love that question. It's such an important question. I've seen so many pastors, so many worship leaders like jump ship and then, you know, mm. work at a hardware store or, you know, do things yeah. that it's just like, oh my goodness, like that doesn't feel like who you are. But, you know, we all have to figure it out. You have to provide for your families. Like when I got kicked out of my community, I took a job as a, you know, basically a, a life enrichment director for an elderly home as like an activities director. It's like, you got you to gotta pay the mm. bills. And it was a lovely thing. I enjoyed doing it, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't feeding my soul in the ways like the (laughs) church had in years past. And so, yeah, there's so much to that question. And, and it is hard because, you know, I think, I think with, with my story and with my wife's story, we didn't grow up in this thing. We didn't grow up in this evangelical space. We didn't grow up in youth groups. We hadn't Mm. heard of a worship team until we were in our twenties. We didn't know this thing existed. And so for us, we had always planned on making a career in music or, you know, eventually in speaking and different things like that without the church. The church was just something that came along and it felt like a way to honor God. And so for Mm -hmm. us, getting into it actually felt like a little bit of a sacrifice because we loved the secular space in regard to music, in regard to things like that. And so when Mm -hmm. we got out of it, I don't think you know, as much as a lot of my friends were saying, well, now what do I do? I don't have this venue anymore. I think Susie and I were kind of in the mindset of like, oh, we just go back to what we used to do, you know, 15, 18 Mm. years ago, because there's space for music and there's space for speakers. And there's now this space for podcasting. There's so much space available to us. But so many people have such, you know, we all, so many of us spent so much time in the context of the church that that space seems like where where is it? I mean, where where do you even yeah. find it? So for me, yeah, one of the biggest things that the first thing in regards to public speaking was I, you know, I literally thought my career as a public speaker was done because nobody wanted to hear from me anymore, and the mm-hmm. church wasn't having me anymore. And then I got this opportunity from this organization called Rachel's Challenge, who was started by one of the Columbine High School victims' dads as a way to honor his daughter. And we literally Mm -hmm. go out into educational settings and teach about kindness and compassion, which to me are like the core things that Jesus teaches as well. And so I get to teach the things that I've always loved to teach on, but in a different context. And I get to travel all over the place and do it. And it's a beautiful thing. And then, yeah, the podcasting world has opened our eyes up. Um, Same thing, like my wife will just put on events. You know, she'll just plan her own events that will bring joy and life into the world. And so we, you know, it's not easy. Uh, It takes Mm -hmm. a lot of creativity. Uh, It takes a lot. You got to, you know, you don't get that steady paycheck anymore. Health insurance is a challenge, all of those things. But I just don't want the church to steal something from us that it shouldn't be allowed to to steal, right? The Mm. church isn't the only space where we should get to express our music abilities or our mind or our speaking abilities or our hospitality. You know, if you're a person that you love church because of the hospitality you got to offer, just open up your house to people on a regular basis and imagine the beautiful space that will happen there. 
you know, if you're a, yeah. a, a speaker, you know, boy, it, it doesn't it doesn't take much to start a podcast. Like, what do you want to talk about? What is what is in your heart? If you're a musician, mm-hmm. you know, just just get out there and just start playing your music and see what happens. And for some of us, you know, some people support those things by doing other jobs. Others of us are able to kind of carve it out in, in different ways. But just don't give up on it. Don't give up on what feeds your soul just because it doesn't fit in the context that it, it used to, I guess, is the easiest yeah. way to say it. Wow. Yeah, that's very encouraging. And it's encouraging to see people doing it, you know, doing mm-hmm. the thing. Because I think even five years ago, it it would have, it still seems daunting to <laughs> work outside <laughs> yeah. the framework, but it's it, we're starting to kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel of how it might look to still be a spiritual person who doesn't think the way we used to and still be able to contribute to the world and to, like you said, feed our souls in new ways. So, yeah. And it's been, I mean, it's been such a beautiful, so I've been doing my own thing. My wife and I, you know, not working for other people, finding our way in our, in our gift sets, I guess I'll say it for now, like three or four years. And doesn't mean Mm -hmm. it doesn't have a lot of hardships, but I'm, we, like the two of us, Susie and I, we would want to say like, it's possible. And, you know, we own our own home and we provide for our children. It's not like we're going without, we're make, we're mm-hmm. figuring it out, we're making it work. And, yeah. um, and then that's also opened up the ability because we have the space and time to have these meaningful conversations with people like you, Liz, or, you know, people mm-hmm. who are asking these questions about like, what is, what does spirituality look like? What's the next, where are we going? What's happening? And so just being able to engage in those conversations in those communities and even, you know, some conference spaces that are starting to happen and things like that. Um, you know, it's, yeah. it's a great, it's a great joy. So I'm, I'm pretty humbled by what I get to be a part of these days. Yeah. And I will say it's, it's very refreshing to have someone be so positive <laughs> about it all. A lot of, a lot of people are, that I talk to and that I engage with online, you know, are, are so angry and rightfully so. Um, but to see that you have had the hard questions and you still have questions and you're able to proceed with joy and humor is (laughs) so encouraging to my soul because some days, you know, some days doing my podcast and doing the things I do, I'm like, Oh, it feels like such a, it is heavy. It's a heavy thing. And so it's, it's neat to see, well, and for it doesn't me, have to be that way. <laughs> yeah. And Liz, like that part of my, my whole life, one of the things that I've always loved doing is making people smile and making people laugh. Like, mm. and, and, and that's something that's really important to me because this world is awfully hard. And if we can't laugh at times, we're all going to just die. And so I had this real, I had some really, <laughs> really dark moments when I was deconstructing and going through that process, which, you know, we're never done deconstructing. I don't want to, mm. I don't want to act like, oh yeah, Matt's made it through. <laughs> you know, we're yeah, always, yeah. We're, we're, I think this is a lifelong process. We're always going to be deconstructing and reconstructing, but in the center of it, I noticed that I'd lost myself. I noticed that the mm. human being that I pride myself in being no longer existed. And I started asking myself the questions like, am I going to allow the church, Christianity, evangelical, am I going to allow that to steal pieces of me that I really love about myself? And when I'd have, you know, my friends and my wife telling me that, boy, you just don't seem to be the person you used to be. And that's not a good thing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, when the people closest to you start identifying, like you feel like you've lost something and you're not the person that you're meant to be in this world. 
you know, I just got to this place where I was like, no, I'm not going to allow what I went through to steal who I am. And, uh, and just kind of, you know, cause I mean, even if you, so my podcast has been going on for like four years now, if you go back to, you know, if you'd listen to some three years ago, you'd f- hear a much angstier person than you hear today because I was upset hmm. and I was angry and I was pissed at the world and I was pissed at the church. And, um, but now I'm at this place where I feel like I'm reclaiming the person I actually am in this world. And, uh, mm. and it's very freeing and it's very exciting. So, yeah. So for those people who are feeling like you're in that space of you just don't feel like you're the person you used to be, but you want to be that person again, you know, just keep working, just keep going mm. and, and find and find those spaces of joy in your life because they are there. You know, I mean, they always used to say this in the church, right? Like yeah. spirituality happens in the small details of life as well. Mm. And that's absolutely true. You know, like there's a beautiful spirituality in the smiles of my kids or, you know, the, the joy of my dog when we're on a walk in the woods or, you know, it's, it's beautiful spirituality still surrounds us, even though all of us have gone through some hard times. Mm, I love that. Well, Matt, as we finish up, could you tell us where we can, where we can find you, where we can find your book and and your podcast and how people can connect? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The best place to connect with me is just just head to my website, which is just mattkenzera.com. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook under that same name. The podcast is called Chasing Goodness, and you can find that wherever you listen to podcasts. The book's out there, so whether you want to grab it off my website or off of Amazon or Barnes & Noble or wherever, you should be able to find it. It's called Bring It Home. And did I just see you are, um, and and did I just see that Bring It Home is on audiobook too, or is it coming out? literally just came out this week on on audio so it's on audible and uh yeah so you should be able to find it wherever you want to find it yes and i will say as someone who's read the print copy i think listening to it would be really fun it's just (laughs) it's it's a fun book so yeah yeah. thank you so much and thanks for all your encouragement thanks for having me on it's been a, a true joy this episode was meaningful to you, please consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash deconstructing the myth so that episodes like today's keep coming.